0: what day it is, guess what day it is, huh, anybody, Julie, hey, guess what day it is, oh, come on, I know you can hear me, Mike, 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 Mike. what day is it, Mike, <laughs> listen, guess what today is,
1: it's hump day, woo I see a clinic full of cynics, I want to twist the people's wrist, hump day, okay. now watching every move we make, Talk to me! Cause when the madman flicks a switch See you Hey there, Europa, you should worry about the migrants From now on it's up to you And you must make it through this crisis Yes, it's you You're the ones who must defend the land Of your own clan Stars We'll have the life we knew we could It's understood Hey there Europa There's so much for me to say to you If whites don't take back power Then there's only one thing left for us to do We'll erupt in chaos and start anew I know it's true about your past and I grow fonder, yes I do We'll soon make history for you You'll know it's all because of Oh yeah.
0: Nur eine geschäftige Träne, die über das Volk aufoptimiert worden, mundgerecht gemacht worden. Parallel dann der Angriff gegen das Ziel unserer Jugend, die Verlustung der kleinen Kindergehirne schon, ein herausreißen aller Erinnerungen an unsere deutsche Vergangenheit. Die Beschützung aller großen Männer unseres Volkes, das entfernen der Erinnerung an sie aus den Herzen und aus dem Gehirn, in kleinen deutschen Jugend,
1: this before, yeah. the Jew is who to blame for all the wars, uh. buying politicians like a filthy horse, we're living in the system, young boy and they know you never listen cause you're watching porn, what? they gotta keep you stupid and misinformed, Here's some wise advice, I won't say it twice, no thags, no, no. niggas, no, no kiss-ass wiggers. we go hard, don't give me a lame excuse, we're overdue, we gotta deal with the greedy Jew, cause if you think about a man, they own the news, and that is something we cannot afford to lose, Yo, I was a first-class prankster, taking on Jews like a rhyme and gangster. Man, a mystery I know the history. Killer, he said it. The Jews are parasites. A red line can be for the Bible, the Bible. A red Jewish folks, six million lies on a hall of hoax. There was no gas, and the Jews are laughing. They think you are stupid like a bunch of goats. How they doing better now in the Middle East? All this is war, never any peace. Do you think that they care for a ceasefire? No, they shoot everything like a retard.
0: We know we've never been the wisest or smartest, but we realize what it takes. We got control of your banks and your money, so you gotta do what we say. It's a feeling you get when the Jews says to you That you're running out of time, that you're
1: racist Dude, like Barbara Spector, genocide lecture She's a wicked bitch and the Jews respect her A red line can be for the Bible, the Bible White America, wake the fuck up. White America, wake the fuck up. All right. Welcome to
2: episode number 210 of the Sane Psalm, the Hump Day edition. I'm your host, Giuseppe Vafangulo, And uh, what an honor it is today to bring on Mr. Brian Davidson. Most of you know Brian for his exemplary work uh, with... Um, the legendary Jim Fetzer, he's a regular and has done hundreds of shows with Jim. In fact, we've done some together. In fact, the unbelievable stellar work of exposing the fraud of the Buffalo supermarket shooting last year, that was a, a great episode. And Brian's a, a private investigator in Houston, and and he's uh, been doing all these secular shows, especially uh, Jim Fetzer, as, as he's said many times, is agnostic about nature of god but it really he's a he's a he's a disciple his religion is scientism but so today though we're going to get to discuss another like all uh many highly intelligent men uh, he has more than one pursuit so instead of discussing the secular and and tearing apart the many false flags these days from the satanic globalists we're going to have an esoteric discussion and brian has spent years if not decades uh, uh uh studying the bible studying various religious documents to try to come to some understanding of all this stuff. And so, you know, the theme of today's show, as with those, that song montage is morality. And so that, so Brian, uh, tell us about your, 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 your esoteric side, not the secular side.
3: <laughs> well, I appreciate you having me on here today, Giuseppe. Uh, yeah, it's true. I've done a lot of shows over there on Jim Fetzer. I've, I've done a lot of work with him on Sandy Hook. I provided, some important documentation to the Supreme Court related to him. And I've I've busted out numerous false flags by just simply uh, capturing and gathering all the earliest and most reliable evidence I could in any particular event, uh, gathering it together and then presenting it so that people can make their own decision about what it was. And I really do believe people need to make their own decisions about really what took place because um, there's a lot of influence that takes place. I, I guess I just want to start out today, and you know, sort of let everybody know a little bit of my story. I've, I've had a couple of awakenings in my life. Uh, you know, I was, I was a pretty wild and rambunctious kid, uh, turned 19 had just basically gotten kicked out of college at central Washington university where I was playing football. And, uh, I said, Hey, I, you know, something's not right with my life. It's not going to get fixed. I'm going to end up in jail or dead or something worse. I was racing and drinking and drugging and it was pretty heavy, a lot of fighting and stuff was taking place. And as a result, you know, I I cried out for help and ended up becoming a born again, Christian. Then I was able to, uh, after a couple of years of, of really intense, uh, sort of personal study and local church services stuff, um, the church got together and sent me off to Moody Institute in Chicago, where I learned from a number of professors. Um, and I ended up spending about six years between Chicago and Spokane, uh, in the communications business, as well as in the, uh, business of, um, learning the Bible the best I could, given the circumstances at the time. And, um, and then I ran into some issues that sort of caused a bit of a shipwreck uh that I couldn't really overcome for years. And I I, I kind of remember that spot where it happened, but I you know, I was like, man, if, if this if this Christianity works, how come I can't, you know, stop sinning? Why I have this appetites all the time? I can't can't overcome them. They just they're just eating me, eating away at me. And so I sort of Fell away at a distance for a while. Why I just tried to make up some money to make up for being poor all through those years of of uh, going through college. Mm-hmm. And of course, I was put right next to when I was in Spokane for the remaining three years of my degree. Uh, I was literally living on a house right off side off the campus at Gonzaga University, where they have Bishop White Seminary that's run by the Jesuits. And obviously, that's a that's a Catholic style institution, but really. Right. Jesuit uh, style institution. And so I had a lot of run-ins with those guys and they ended up telling me basically get off campus uh, because I was really screwing with a lot of the brains of a lot of these young students that were in Bishop White Seminary. And um, so then I just went to making money. Uh, I spent years making money, trying to figure out sort of where to fit in. And I began to realize that's not going to make me happy. And, And then about 2008, I sort of ran into a bit of a, of a collision, like, Hey, this, this money thing is not making me happy. And I, something's not quite right with my life. I can't really figure out why I have these appetites. I, I can barely control. And you know, how come I haven't overcome this? I'm almost, you know, 35 years old now. And you know, this is, this is not going the right direction. So I ended up getting sent off to Thailand to work a big, uh, a big convention with a bunch of missionary physicians from all over the world, and uh, you know, I had a I had a pretty significant run-in with God there, and that's where things really began to change for the better for me, and I became a lot more comfortable in my own skin. And um, then I come back, I I start decided to start the private investigation business just because I was like, well, the pursuit of money is not making me happy. Maybe just doing right and doing good is is going to do it. So let's start this thing and see where it goes. And now it's one of the top rated private investigation companies in Houston. And then, of course, you know, I was like cut my current events teeth with Fox News and Bill O'Reilly and Sean (laughs) Hannity and Drudge Report. And, you know, I was thinking that I was educated because I was listening to these guys in terms of current events and election and stuff. But I didn't even know 9-11 was fake. I mean i started to figure that out and i was like what's going on and then i in 2016 about april i was up at my sister's house in seattle and she's like hey you're a private investigator why don't you look into the sandy hook thing and uh and so i was like okay and i it didn't take me long to start to figure it out and of course right what what happened right after april in 2016 was that June came rolling up. And right now I'm in the midst of, you know, sort of going through Sandy hook and what happens right before my eyes is this pulse nightclub, gay false flag shooting.
2: Yeah. That a bunch of nonsense that was. Yeah. Oh, it
3: was, it was absolute nonsense. And I couldn't figure out like, why is everybody falling for this? What are they doing? What are, what's going on here? This doesn't make any sense. I remember sitting in front of my TV, watching Megan Kelly or something and saying, here's this Norman Cassiano fag guy lifts up his shirt from the passenger seat of like a Honda Civic and shows a piece of gauze taped to his back. (laughs) And uh, and says he was shot four times or six times in the abdomen. And I was like, that's impossible. I shot a hog like a week ago. Yeah. You know, know, I know what bullets do. This is, this is insanity. So I went back to my office. I opened up the fifth version of the open source intelligence technique book by Michael Bazell. Now they're on the 10th version. And I, I just started creating a file and I busted it until the point where I was like 100% satisfied. This is fake as can be. There ain't nothing right. Well, that, that caused a bit of an awakening in me because I'm like, Whoa if they lied to me about this, what else did they lie to me about? And my brain starts you know, going backwards and backwards and backwards and backwards right, all the way right. to college. Yeah. And, and I had this memory that always was sort of burned in my mind. And it was one of those professors by the name of John McMath. And I remember it was like, I don't know, it was like my junior year and he was teaching a course on Genesis. I think it was an advanced Genesis course. And he, I, I remembered this day so clearly because it was one of those things that had caused such a, a problem with my faith and with me and with everything that I just couldn't, I couldn't shake it even after all these years. Well, this was the professor standing up at the podium, and he steps to the one side of the podium, and he says, on this side, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue for what the world says. And then he steps to the other side of the podium, and he says, on this side, I'm going to argue for what the Bible says. And here I am in Bible college, and I'm like, cool, I'm going to go with the Bible side. Let's see how this goes. And so he steps to one side, and he says, okay, there's a big bang. And that caused everything to sort of spread out. And then there was a mix of all these atoms, and then there was the primordial ooze. And then there was, you know, the animals that proceeded. And now we're just third rock from the sun, you know whipping through outer space meaninglessly right. and there is no god and it's been millions of years since this took place and then he switches to the other side and he's like but the bible says you know in six days god created the world and he created the heavens and the earth and he laid its foundations and he mm-hmm. he stamped it out like a coin and you know sort of the biblical perspective of what creation looked like and i remember at that point in time sort of And this is, I was young. I was in college and I was like, and something ain't right. I can't really tell what it is. Like Intellectually, I want to make an assent that I believe the Bible. But everywhere I was hit with all of this third rock from the sun sort of idea and primordial ooze and all this. And I was like, can you synchronize them? Can, Can you take, this and synchronize it with this and sort of put it together in a big blend and it didn't uh it just 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 didn't work i mean it's like one or the other because you can't just blend it all up and that to me is the biggest lesson in this world is that when you have two competing ideas that happen in your mind is this false flag real or is this false flag fake you have two competing voices that are working in your brain and it causes a, a lack of harmony in the brain, also known as cognitive dissonance.
2: Right. Mm-hmm.
3: Right. And you like, okay, which one, cause you can't sort of take them both and you can't synchronize them. A lot of people have tried and it's just like religion in the world. You just can't synchronize them. A lot right. of people have tried and, um, So it was 2016, the Pulse nightclub sort of opened my eyes. I said, if they're lying to me about this, what else are they lying? And then I went deep. I mean, I'm still digging in the conspiracy rabbit hole, even today, trying to figure out which ones are real, which ones are live, which ones have come from the devil, which one. But, uh, you know, in conclusion, I'll tell you this. After going through that process from 2016 until now, I believe more in the Bible today than I even did back then. So that's that's how it shook out for me because all that education laid a foundation. But that foundation wasn't effective until I understood that you know the Bible works like in real life and and that's that's where I'm at today. So
2: Oh that's awesome. Okay. Now I'd like to go back and to um you know we've all been taught in America since I was a little boy that you know uh uh, uh respectful people don't discuss uh, money, politics or religion, right? And yet that's how the Satanists are uh, the globalists, whatever you want to call them, uh, international Jewry, you know, the Babylonian death cults, whatever you want to call them. That's how they control everything, right? So so to me, it's vital as a mature adults with respect to everyone's belief system, And, uh, you know, I'm never going to tell anybody they're right or wrong about their personal beliefs, but I think it is vital to, to, if you're comfortable discussing it and I'd like to go back and and find out with what you're comfortable talking about, what it's like to have an encounter with God in
3: Thailand. Oh, (laughs) Uh, I don't know how much I'm going to bring to it, but I was, I was asked to go and, run all the audio visual and technical for this big conference up there up in Chiang Mai. And uh, you know, I, I, I had this big sort of class that I had taught in Houston. It was a Sunday school class. And, and, you know, so I had one life that sort of existed on Sunday and I had another life that existed on Friday night
1: mm-hmm. and they
3: were, they were sort of diametrically opposed at the time. And um, I agreed to do it. And I went off there and I ended up spending, I did this twice and um, I ended up spending a lot of time up there sort of having a crisis of which, which life is it I'm going to live. And um, what, what fundamentally happened to me was that I said, if Jesus works and this Bible is true and it does what it tells me it does then i'm doing something wrong or i'm understanding something wrong because i still have all these appetites and i and i remember sitting down i was playing this like version of go with this really old guy that was sort of the missionary pastor to the missionary pastors Uh and he was there to sort of counsel all these foreign missionaries and uh over you know, while they were doing all the teaching courses for all the CE for the doctors, him and I just sort of sat down and chatted. And he said, well, listen, I'm going to run a little experiment with you. And this is an old guy, man. This this guy is like Titan of the faith. And he says, I want you to take the next three days and I want you to uh, to start keeping a journal. And I want you to write down inside that journal everything that you're ashamed of. I mean, it's your journal, but I want you to write down every sin you've ever committed, everything that's ever been done to you, everything that you've ever done to anybody else. I want you to just sit there and think about it and sort of be introspective and find everything that you can remember that you're ashamed of. And I did that. I spent three days and I'm like, this ain't going to work. This ain't going to work. This ain't, you know, like, come on, man. I've, <laughs> this is, all right, whatever. But by faith, I I did it. And then uh, after three days, he said, all right, let's go. And I was like, where are we going? And he's like, we're going to walk up into the hills. And so we head up into the hills in the Himalayas. And uh, he had set up this cross, this sort of symbolic cross. And he says, "Um, "All right, you got your journal? I'm like, yep. He's like, set it down at the cross. And then he lit it on fire. (laughs) Oh, wow. And then he opened up the Bible and he's like 70 times seven as far as the East is from the West. You know, this is what Jesus did. This is what the cross was all about. You're free, my friend. And it wasn't, he didn't like perform a ritual or anything like that. It wasn't like, you know, some sacred event. And I remember walking down the mountain after that going, that ain't going to work. six months later, my life was entirely different. I was cleaned. I was changed. I no longer looked at the things that I wanted to look at. The appetites didn't have the power over me anymore. And I had control of my life and I was able to be super honest about all my flaws. And, um, you know, it goes back to the beginning in terms of, where does sin come from? Why is it in me? Where does it come from? And it's like, it's been there since the beginning. Just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. What Paul's arguing when he write, writes that in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, is that, man, even if you didn't do it, you're corrupt right from the very beginning. And so a lot of people that know my like on, online moniker is Traducian, and he was the guy that came up, sort of developed this theology around this idea. But it began, to, it began to dawn on me, hey, all this stuff that I'm ashamed of, I don't necessarily, yeah, I've added to the sin. I've added to it with my life and the terrible things that I've done and you know the people I've hurt and all this. But this is, this is the nature of mankind. It goes back all the way to the beginning. We're, we're rotten. We've got a problem. And it is what it is. And that, that's how the encounter happened. And I had no idea what it was going to lead to, but it did lead to a resurrection of sort of a dead faith. It, it brought me back.
2: Wow, that's amazing. Now, um, do you, uh, one of my favorite quotes is after uh, Napoleon, it was at pretty much at the height of his empire, and he uh, entered uh, had conquered Rome and entered the Vatican and went down into the library catacombs, literally stayed down there two weeks without sleeping because he got to read the hidden uh, real history uh, uh, of uh, of the world documented, not the, uh, the bullshit that we're all taught is the real history. And he came out of the catacombs two weeks later in the first, uh, I'm going to paraphrase, I don't have it exactly memorized, but uh, he basically said to his aide who coming up the stairs first thing that's different uh, uh okay that's gone um the uh he basically said uh, history is nothing but a group of lies agreed upon and to me i've been investigating uh conspiracy and false flag literally for a half century i've been interested in it since I was a a teenager, you know, 12, 13, 14. And I, I, I tend to agree with him. You know, everything that I look into, you can always find a source that refutes it, and the source is more believable. Mm-hmm. So that leads, having made that statement, two-part question number one. Well, well I'll, I'll break it into two separate things. My first question then is, is you can o- only need to go as far back as the um, uh, uh, about a century ago, when the uh, vile um, uh, chicken swinger Samuel Untmeyer paid the drunken, uh, jealous uh, Brit on the fringe of aristocracy, Cyrus Schofield, a princely sum to rewrite the Bible and change the meaning of the Bible, which Jesus, the Christ, says many times in the New Covenant, the New Testament, that the Jews are the children of the devil, the synagogue of Satan, yada, 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 yada. And, um, uh, and all of a sudden, because of, of this weasel Schofield re- literally rewriting the Bible, suddenly um, the Jews are now the chosen people, and a lot of stupid, phony Christians now believe that. And so, so if that... In, in in the immediate short term of history, only 100 years, we have that proof. And there's countless other instances of the Bible being written, especially 380 AD with Constantine, uh, the god-emperor of Rome. And so, so how do you differentiate what's been ma- edited, rewritten by man to serve the purposes of man versus the divine word in the Bible?
3: Okay, so first of all, Let's deal with Schofield. Schofield was a commentator. Okay. And let me point this out. The scriptures have been around for a long, long time. And of course, before the copying machine or the printing press, there was handwritten versions which were done by people called scribes. And before and that, hand- there was an
2: oral tradition. Yeah, yeah. Right.
3: There was oral tradition, but there was also a handwritten version that was done by The scribes, this was part of the money that went to these people called the Levites who appointed educated people to copy and distribute these documents. And these documents were spread out all over the Middle East to all these different synagogues all over the place. And so we start out with sort of the original, the original handwritten document that might have come from Moses or might have come from Elijah or, you know, one of the authors of the original documents. And then that's copied and it's diligently copied over the years and it spreads out. It goes from this synagogue to this synagogue, to this synagogue, to this synagogue. And next thing you know, all the synagogues have copies of all these different books. So to deal with Schofield first, Schofield was a Calvinist. Um, And whenever you have an ism, and I'm not talking just Calvinism, I'm talking Catholicism. I'm talking any ism, ism. right. Mm-hmm. Anyism. Yeah. You've got somebody's interpretation of what took place. OK? Absolutely. So Schofield yeah. was the guy that really put a big emphasis on um, sort of why the Jews are important in terms of world history. And that got copied. And then there was Ryrie that came after him. And then Ryrie was the one I cut my teeth on. But I I went to Moody Institute. I'm not saying that these professors all knew exactly what they were doing. I mean, they could argue it. But they weren't right on everything all the time, everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so there was commentators. Well, I want you to think about something real fast, okay? What we know as the Jews today... They started out with something really good called the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I mean, these were the books of Moses. These were like the foundation of...
2: Right, they call it the Tanakh, I think, right? Yeah. Right,
3: right. But then about 600 AD, their commentators come along and they write the Talmud. And the Talmud is all these interpretations of all these laws and all these... It's commentators. Well, commentators screw it up. Commentators screw it up. So here's my take on the Bible. Today, we have about 600 of what is called the earliest and most reliable manuscripts. So archaeological evidence different generations. Remember, something was original, and then it was copied, and then it was copied Mm -hmm. twice, and then it was copied three times, and then it was copied five times. And so there's all these sort of scattered documents that are spread out all around the Middle East related to the church, related to this or that. And, And this is how we sort of, in 325, they came along and they said, okay, let's have this big, huge council. And it lasts for like almost two years called the Council of Nicaea. And this is where they study all these different documents that are earliest and most reliable that they had available to them at the time. And this mm-hmm. is 325 AD. And this is where they started building the archives. Now, why did that take place? Well, that was because the Roman emperor had sort of made an overnight declaration that our new our nation will now be Christian. Well, what happens when you take a bunch of fertility cult, you know, worst, worst, Romans who have their gods, Dionysus and Diana and their Apollyon and Zeus. And you know, they ha- what happens when all of a sudden you tell a society, okay, y'all are Christian now. Well, they're going to take all the components from their understanding of the old religion. Of course. So. And then they're going to try to sew them in and synchronize them. That's the back to that word. Synchronize. They're going to try to synchronize them with what we think Christianity is. Okay. And so the synchronization takes place. And the next thing, what you get out of it is um, worshiping our ancestors or necromancy. So the, you get your fertility goddess, Mary. You mm-hmm. get your saints, people that are basically expanded humans that are sort of gods. You get your Pope, which... The church was never designed that way. Anyway, I've answered a whole bunch of questions. I kind of want to stay focused. Okay, number one, Schofield was just a commentator and he might've gotten Mm -hmm. a lot of things wrong. Mm -hmm. So go back to the originals. Number two, what does the original look like? Today, we have archeologically 600 manuscripts that have been discovered all over the world that have different sort of dates and times, but they correspond as to what this says. Now, the biggest project related to that is called the... New English translation or the Net Bible, and you can find it at netbible.org. But basically, it's it tells you of every you know word or chapter, which manuscript did we use, did we study to assemble this? And where did they come from? So the idea that the whole thing got changed by Schofield is 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 incorrect and and ridiculous because Schofield couldn't travel back in time to find those manuscripts and hand you know, adjust the contents of them from a handwritten perspective. So in 1974, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, and we found a copy of Isaiah that predated everything we had before by like 500 years. Mm -hmm. And it was exactly the same as what we've got. And that whole science of how the manuscripts are passed down is called textual criticism. In other words, is this document reliable? Is this document authentic? Does it agree with all the other documents that we have from all the other synagogues and or churches or whatever that that have developed Mm -hmm. and so there's this massive library that includes about 600 really reliable early manuscripts now the king james version was the majority text and the majority text okay so number one i said early and reliable and that's how i break false flags i look for early and reliable number two is majority Well, the majority of manuscripts are what have survived, and they're the latest, the latest version. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I've got 1,200 of these, but they're all late and a little bit less reliable. So we always try to go back to the earliest, most reliable. And so when I study the Bible, I know basically which manuscript this translation came from, where the disagreements take place. This was the Mm -hmm. Net Bible Project, what the original word was how it's supposed to be meant and I can even parse the original Greek word and the original Hebrew words to figure out how they were meant to be put together and assembled in a particular way. And so that's why I believe it's reliable.
2: Wow okay that's, that's so I answered okay.
3: I answered Schofield. I answered reliability. What was the other one you said?
2: Oh, just how many times the Bible has been re- rewritten over uh, the last 2,000 years to suit the individuals in power at the time?
3: Well, the commentaries have been rewritten all the time, and the commentaries are always written to suit whoever's in power at the time. But how how can you possibly go back in time and find and assemble the original earliest and most reliable manuscripts and change them in, in the original pen in their handwriting. It can't be done. And I believe the Bible has been protected by God from the beginning of time. It's been protected. And I believe that what we've got is correct. And the reason that I believe what we've got is correct is because of Jesus. Jesus came along and what did he do? He quoted from it, from Abel to Zechariah. He said, this is good. This is good. This is good. And I believe Jesus was indeed exactly who he claimed to be. And he quoted from the Old Testament now, the New Testament, that's a little bit different issue in terms of how it was assembled, why it was assembled in 325 A.D. Right. That's, a, that's a whole big discussion, but I'm, I have confidence that it, it's correct, even as it is today. It, correct mm-hmm. in terms of what it's teaching, in terms of the big picture. Not necessarily correct in terms of this particular verse every time, but look, you can have a letter that says the same thing written in five different ways, but it says the same thing. And I believe it's correct. Yes. So I, I got confidence. And I know I got confidence because I've experienced its power in my life to change me. And, and mm-hmm. that's that's why I have confidence in it. You know, it's it's not just simply an intellectual ascent with me. My heart feels it, and I know it. That Bible, this one right here, in my opinion, is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword and it will penetrate to dividing soul and spirit. Go read a gospel and tell me your heart won't be moved. It's impossible.
2: Wow, that's a powerful statement. So my next question is, you know, you described early on uh, you had an encounter with God and then a powerful one in Thailand. To me, those are are, um, spiritual epiphanies, right? And so do you have any thoughts or commentaries on the idea of The idea of following spirituality as in uh, the Bible, Isaiah 17, 21 says, uh, the kingdom of heaven is within, right? So I interpret that as deep prayer, deep meditation, quieting your mind after a while could take weeks, months, years. Finally, you get to that point where you can kind of hear the ephemeral whisper uh, of of the, your higher self, some people call it, or, or, or the Holy spirit, whatever you want to call it versus, you know, a lot of people these days just think, well, if I just follow the rules of whatever church I'm joined, I'm going to go to heaven. And to me, that's really immature and silly. So do you have any thoughts on what you personally experienced, which is a, a spiritual epiphany versus the, 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 uh, the uh, uh, following religious following of doctrine.
3: Yeah, I do. And let me point this out because this is a, this is a really great conversation to have about the nature of us as Americans and patriots. Okay. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: I want to point something out to you. Okay. The early church which was pretty much documented by a guy by the name of Luke who was paid to Luke was sent down by this Greek guy by the name of Theophilus and his job was to document what was true because they were hearing a bunch of different things in Greece about what's true about this Jesus guy and what's not these stories sound completely incredible so Luke so Theophilus commissions Luke to go down to Jerusalem and join up with these Christian guys and figure out what this is, what's real and what's not. And so Luke writes 26 chapters in the book of Luke, which is the gospel of Luke, which is basically his, which is written for a Gentile perspective, non-Jewish Gentile perspective of what was true. And his job, he was commissioned to document it. And then he just stayed with it. And then he documented the book of Acts. So Luke wrote both the gospel, as well as the book of Acts. And what you'll find is that there is a a, uh, a quiet but powerful spirit that came upon the people of faith. Okay, and I want to make this very clear.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Abraham had two children. One was Ishmael, and one was Isaac one was the child of the promise they were both children of abraham but they but only the children of isaac were considered to be israelites okay not ishmael so the point is just because you're born of the jewish descent doesn't make you an israelite just because you're part of it what makes you an israelite is if you have faith like abraham so where am i going with this there was a lot of corruption among what was going on with the Israelites in the Bible, so Luke and Acts generally. And the Israelites were acting very much like they act today. They were always getting upset because something was threatening their territory. And they considered their territory to be, you know, religious doctrine and teaching and power and control. Uh-huh. And so what they would do when they got upset, and this is all throughout history, it goes all the way back to the beginning, was, was they would go into the temple treasury. And this happened time and time again. Go read the book Acts, you'll see it. They'd go into the temple treasury, they'd take out a bunch of money, they'd form a mob, they'd pay them, and they'd set them off to riot. And that Pontius Pilate, the Roman guy who was in charge of Jerusalem at the time, was like, This is how these stinkers act. They're terrible. They they don't like what we have to say. They don't like what our rules. So they're gonna they're gonna set the mob loose, right? And so those Jews were not exactly your peaceful men of faith, and they were (laughs) the same ones that ended up crucifying Christ because he threatened their message. Right. Okay. Right. They formed. They literally formed a mob. Paid them out of the temple treasury. And Pontius Pilate wrote a le- letter to Tiberius Caesar right after the crucifixion, and it's called Actus Pontus, And I basically worked very hard to to get that letter. To get that letter, which which was in which, uh, which was in uh, the Vatican archives, in and it was discovered i think in like 1846 these are the ones you're talking about that napoleon was reading okay and he's saying man these guys these guys will pay a rabble to go crazy because they're going to lose some power or lose control and they think that they've they've got all this so trying to keep my head together on the issue okay the real church is born within And the real church are the people that are born again, meaning they've realized the consequences of their sin and they've accepted the provision God has made to bring them back into a proper relationship with him. That's the real church. And I don't care if you're Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or Catholic or whatever, the Bible says it very clearly, you've got to be born again. Now, I'm not going to go into what all that means, but let me tell you something. Not everybody who calls themselves a Christian is a Christian. Not everybody that calls themselves a Catholic is a Catholic. And not everybody that calls themselves a Jew is a Jew. Okay? Those things, those labels ought to be brought on because you have the faith to believe that it's a gift. Righteousness is a gift from God. And we don't work for gifts. There's works which get paid. When I work, I get paid. That's what I deserve. Right. But when I believe in the gift, the gift is given to me. I have faith to believe that that's no strings attached gift. Well, that's gift. Okay. So the early church was formed and it was cellular. This is a very important point. Okay. Mm -hmm. People that had received the gift of the Holy Spirit formed house churches instead of synagogues. Because remember, those Jews were after all these guys. They wanted to show them all. So they formed these house churches. And it's very cellular, right? Like every town sort of develops. There's one in Philippi. There's one in Ephesus. There's one in Rome. There's one over. And they're, they're developing all over the place. And it's cellular. And it's like spreading all over the place. And so they send out this guy, this Pharisee, by the name of Paul, to crush it. Go from town to town to town. You get letters. He gets a letter from the temple from the temple priest, and he's town to town, and his job is to pull all these Christians out of these houses and, and destroy the church. Okay, so here's where the church went wrong, okay? In 325 AD, when Rome decided as a political institution it was going to get involved in the church, what did it build? It built something it could control. It built a vertical organization, vertical organization, because vertical organizations are easier to c- control from the top. The original church was cellular. It was all over the place. And, and cellular is hard to control because you got you to deal. Where is this place? What You got to deal with cellular, all these different people with all these different ideas, not operating under a single mechanism of control. So it's much easier to control a vertical institution. Let's call it the Catholic church. Let's right. go ahead. Let's call it the universal church. Let's go ahead and install a pope the vicar of Christ on earth. Let's go ahead and start making rules that we can drop down, and then we can control this thing called the church. Well, I'm telling you, the real church are people that have been born again. That's the real church. The fake church is the one where some big organization puts rules that drop downhill to control the substructure. And this is what's happened with our government even today. Okay. America is filled with wonderful, patriotic human beings all over the place. We all believe, but what are we doing? We're looking at our federal government as sort of the institution that we have to control and save. I say no. I say no. What this world is all about is about maintaining the dignity support of your cell, of the people that you get, you surround yourself with, the people that you get to influence, the cell, one person at a time, the cell. And they, that way they can't tear us down. They can't break us. They can't break us into pieces. They can't come along and pass a, a law that says you can't worship on this day or that day or do it this way or that way cellular is the way to go and that's how the original early church was built and it went wrong it went very wrong when it got politicized and centralized
2: what's amazing about that statement is that's exactly what's going on with real spiritual catholics right now because uh bergoglio is a, a crypto jew and a, and a communist and a satanist and he uh he he they're 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 going back to having their own little church doing it in Latin and they there it's it's funny how history often repeats. I know uh, at least a dozen different people in various parts of the country who are becoming involved with that and they're like uh, you know they don't even care if the leader of their little cell is excommunicated because the uh, the uh, Catholic
3: Church is now controlled by Satanists and so um, oh yeah oh yeah our government's controlled by it? The Zionists are in control of all sorts of things related to right. the Jews and Israel. Our politicians have been bought and paid for, and they're easily corrupted. It sounds like yes. very easily corrupted. Right. Our leadership is weak and divided, but I'm telling you that there is strength, real strength, real power. And you can have the same power of faith that the original apostles did, the same power things that Jesus did can be achieved by any human being, rich or poor, wherever they're at, any human being as long as he has faith and aligns himself with God's will and we have to stay away from this structural institutional machine that dictates to us how we're going to work. I don't believe the Catholic Church can come along and declare me anathema. anathema is the word and they right. have you know they've they've come along and said oh, You went along with Martin Luther's Protestant. You know, he posted his 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg complaining about the Catholic centralized structure. Right. And uh, therefore, we're going to label you a Protestant, put you in a box, and and call you anathema, meaning forever separated from God. Of course. (laughs) Laugh. Laughable that they think they have the power to do that. They didn't die for my sins. Christ did. So you better take it up with Christ. There you so, go.
2: Exactly right. So so uh, we've reached the top of the hour. Just want to let everybody know that you're listening to Speak Free Radio. This is the Sane Asylum having a compelling conversation with uh, private investigator Brian Davidson. Many of you know him from uh, his excellent work with Jim Fetzer, hundreds of shows. And But Brian's also a deep man of faith. And, and that's our discussion today because it's never been more vital than ever, Brian. And where I, what I'd like to get your thoughts on now is, if you go back to the the Satanism, the abject evil coming out of the antediluvian flood, where humanity wasn't wiped out, just a lot of humans died, right? There were people survived in the mountains and blah blah blah. Um, but what what did crop up pretty quick in Babylon and Samaria is this satanic death cult, right? They literally sacrificed babies, children. They 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 advocated for every every debauchery, the seven sins uh, which you know to remind everyone are lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, pride and and that's essentially the, those are the marching orders of evil of Satanism, right And so, but what you have, though, in my opinion, is, and especially if you read the Eustace Mullins book, The Curse of Canaan, is that that death cult has wielded enormous power. And that's the root, in my opinion, of Satanism that continues to, to follow along and like a cancer metastasizes into various large religious organizations. And combine that with the idea that you, you are very kind in, in describing the Talmud as a commentary. But if you look at the vile recommendations of the, the satanic Jew, the, the Talmud tells you, yeah, you can, uh, you can uh, fornicate a three-year-old boy or girl. It's just like a poke in the eye. It won't do any damage when it destroys little children's lives to do that. You can lie, cheat, and steal. You can have the Kol Nidra, which is the prayer that you can lie to the Gentiles or Gorium, steal from them, and you're abdicated. And, and, and there's many Jews who admit their God is Lucifer, uh, the fallen uh, angel. And so to me, it's never been more obvious that there is a the eternal war of good and evil, and we'll just call you know, Satan is the enemy, we'll just call it Satanism. It has never been more, uh, apparent now, and that it, in this realm, in this time, Satanism is winning very powerfully. You know, I mean, how many real Christians, real people of faith do you know? Well, you probably know more than me because you're involved in it at a much deeper level. But I'll tell you what, in my circles, I think that I, I would say 15% real Christians who really understand the message of Jesus Christ, 85% just going along to get along. And, and that, that's that's a losing percentage ratio to battle this Satanism, which is now everywhere. You know, promulgated by the, uh, the the synagogue of Satan, the 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 Jew that is part of that Babylonian death cult tradition, and so so I mean, you see it in the music videos. You know, uh, uh, all these c- celebrities and influences are wearing upside down crosses. They're giving the devil signs and all this stupid shit. And but yet, you know, they've been they've been placed in in positions of of great wealth and great power and great notoriety, great opportunity for narcissism and all the seven sins. And they're advocating sodomy and all this, the, these, uh, 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 what would you call it? Um, sins against nature, sins against God with this transgenderism horseshit, which there's only two genders. Anyone who's not out of their mind understands that. And, and even this Babylonian death cult that's operating today as a synagogue of Satan, they've poisoned so many of these young people to to think that they've so uh, dosed the young men with um, estrogen mimics. They've so dosed the young women with too much testosterone and testosterone mimics that literally they've been driven mad by this evil. And that's kind of a long way to um, phrase my question, but I, I felt it was, background information that's necessary what do we do because we're losing right now for the future generations to uh fight this satanism i mean you look at the so-called generation z as much as uh 25 to 45 percent now think they're homosexuals or that they're gender fluid on that's absolute nonsense it's it's against everything that we as real humans understand and yet part of me a small part Feel sorry for them because they're casualties of war against this evil. But most of me just thinks uh, you know, maybe they could be saved, maybe they just need to be be put down as the uh rabid dogs they are. So your thoughts on what do we do with Satanism?
3: Well <laughs> Satanism is the earliest religion.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. That's I right mean, it goes uh, back
3: yeah. to it goes back to the Garden of Eden with the serpent and in, in the story there. Um Okay. How do I answer that question? <clears throat> Ever since the beginning of creation, God made something incredibly beautiful in this world. Right. The firmament, the stars, the sun and the moon, the mountains and the waters, the seasons, the calendar. I mean, he made something absolutely beautiful and incredible right. like a like an orchestra of a million angels and a choir combining to sing praises and glory to the original monotheistic, simultaneously present, holy, righteous, just God of the universe, Mm. right? So you've got this immaculate design. And so the story is from some... And it's a little bit of commentary added into, you know, trying to read what the prophecies really say and sort of read between the lines. But the story is Satan was sort of the head angel who sort of gathered and conducted the worship. And then he sort of packaged it up and handed it to God is kind of the satanic theory as to where it comes from. I really don't focus a lot on it. I mean, I need to understand my enemy, but I'm telling you, I've already got him crushed. He's already crushed. Mm -hmm. But so Satan is banished from heaven and leads a rebellion and he's cast down into the garden of Eden. Like this is some surprise. No, this is part of the plan. It's part of the plan because at some point in time, and this is a lot of speculation on my part, so let's not call it scripture. Okay. Okay. God created humanity because he wanted fundamentally a family. Not that he was lacking something, but he wanted a family, let's call it. And then at one point in time he you know he selects Abraham from amongst all these old pagans and he 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 makes him Abraham, okay? Satan is cast out of the world because he leads a rebellion against God and fundamentally what the the story is is that he uh he tried to keep all this worship for himself. In other words, he was jealous and wanted the power to himself. He want he wanted the worship and the glory as if he was the creator. And so he's always emulating God but in a corrupt way. Think of uh Baal or think of a uh, a hermaphrodite or think of uh Baphomet yeah Baphomet yeah Baphomet's a good one you got a hermaphroditic god that goes back to the ancient mystery religions and there's there's hundreds of them literally now right. when satan goes down you know the theory is that a bunch of these you know a third of the heavenly host goes down with him and so now you've got these sort of dark spiritual entities that are led by this sort of army general called satan and they are uh without bodies and they're cast down to the earth and they're there for the purposes of influencing and corrupting the creation now why is that necessary because the accusation would be of course they love you god of course they love you they're programmed to love you they're just a bunch of robots big deal you made a bunch of robots look at they love you because they they're they're compelled to love you because you programmed them to love you. No wonder they love you. And so God's like, okay, well, I'll show you, I'll set them free. And I'll even allow an evil influence to be involved in world history. And I'll show you that even out of that, there will be people that have faith in me and believe in me because they've seen how beautiful and wonderful this creation is. And they can observe my great glory from just looking at nature. And so being able to observe nature, according to the Bible, is sort of um, enough to show you that you've sinned, that you're part of a fallen world. And what it says is it goes on and he says, basically, God abandoned people to their lusts so that the full measure of their sin would develop. And it did very early. And now you you know, you talk about the book of Romans or something like that. You look in, you know, the apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans and he talks about homosexuality. And he says, you know, people saw that this world was good and they resisted it and they continued to sin and they continued to push back. And you look at the Jews all through history, they continued to sin and they continued to push back, and they refused to recognize me for who I am, even though I built this wonderful thing and you know, gave them life. Right, and um, so I abandoned them to their sin. And what does it say? It says the gays received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. In themselves. That's, that's the word. That's what happened. The women abandoned God, lusted for one another. He, he let it blossom. And it's a bit of a mystery, but it basically says as sin increases my forgiveness of sin increases all the more my glory expands as sin increases in this world the the fact that i'm able to call that i'm able to guide through my son people out of this world produces all this glory for me that can be observed in heaven and so satan's goal is to keep people from being born again, his goal is to keep people from redemption, keep people from recognizing the beauty and wonder of God. So what does he do? He corrupts little children. He in, uses his influence and he uses already desperately wicked men to rape, destroy, murder, abortion. He uses these; these are all his thing, so that right. And and here's the problem with people. Okay, the problem with people. The reason people don't believe in God. Is because they cast onto their understanding of God their own personal flaws or the flaws that, that other people have. They they see God as sort of an advanced human being that shouldn't have these flaws. He ought to be a good guy. It's all and so what they do is they they apply the flaws of humanity to God and say, I'm not gonna listen to God, I'm not gonna follow God because God's got the flaws of humanity. And God's sitting there saying, I do not. Take a look at my son, I sent him to you in Jesus Christ. I don't have the flaws of humanity. Look at look at that gracious lifestyle. Look at he he went around healing the the poor, uh, healing the sick, ministering to the poor, raising the dead, which is a huge part of it because you got to ask yourself the question about sin and 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 righteousness. Raising the dead, I mean, the apostle Paul argued all the way through that this is all about that God's righteousness is revealed in the resurrection of the dead. Meaning, we don't see righteous judgment in this world like we should, because God is holy and just and right. We don't see it. We can't observe it. And so humanity will be resurrected to the judgment, because everybody needs to understand and see and will understand what the righteousness of God really looks like in all of its glory. And that gives gives rise to the, the doctrine of soteriology, salvation, you know, heaven and hell. And there's there's a lot to it. It's complex, but it's not stuff that people can't understand if they don't, if they just sit down and read their Bible.
2: Uh, excellent point. So we got a question from the, um, uh, the Odyssey chat, a gentleman who names himself The Noticing. Uh, do, you, do, do you believe, Brian, the Rothschilds and their ilk are actual demons?
3: I never thought about it like that. The Bible says that the hearts of mankind are desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. I don't need a person to be possessed by a demon in order to understand that they will do something rotten. One of the most powerful demons that this world or one of the influences this world has ever seen is the love of money. It's at the root of all sorts of evil. And there is a section of the book of Ezekiel that talks about how <laughs> the Jews... No, wait a second. It's Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy talks about how the Jews... If they're obedient and if they recognize the law for what it was meant to do, they will have the power to loan money to nations. But if they don't do what they're supposed to do, then they're going to suffer these terrible curses. It's sort of a carrot and stick thing that goes on when Moses is, you know, training the new generation after coming out of the wilderness, getting ready to go into the promised land. And um, so... The Rothschild entity, I I don't know how much I want to go into the idea of sort of the the possessed human being. Mm -hmm. Jesus drove demons out of people all the time. There were people that were possessed that had supernatural power to, like one guy was breaking chains, you know, and he was fighting all these people. And there's all these stories in the Bible that Jesus encounters these people that are possessed in a certain way. But there's other stories where you just have somebody that's just simply obstinate. And they just now what I believe is that the Rothschilds have been influenced. And what they've done is they've become a part of the generational plan to destroy God, an intergenerational plan to, quote unquote, destroy God. Which well, well, wouldn't
2: it destroyed. be but, wouldn't it be more appropriate to describe that as replace God with their inferior version? Because you clearly can't destroy God. Oh, they they want
3: to. They want to. Yeah, you clearly can't. I mean, Satan knows the scriptures. He's he knows what's coming, but he's he's having his field day, right? In the meantime, and God is allowing. He's turned those people over to their sins, allowing them to receive in themselves the due penalty for their perversion, and he's a. if they're going to continue to resist and fight and kick there's going to be a day where god's just going to abandon you to your sin. Now what's happened is that that's happened ever since the 60s and the 70s here in America. Right. You yeah. know, there's a big conversation to have about the founding fathers and I wish we could dedicate an entire episode to it, but let me oh, tell we'll you do something it in the future. We came here to America 150 years before the declaration of independence and for 150 years the Quakers The white men of Europe came over, established themselves, set up churches. For 150 years, they were under the iron yoke of England and the king because of money lending and because of, you know, setting up, defending themselves from French influence. For 150 years, they were under this burden. They created the 13 colonies, no taxation without representation. Well, what set it loose? What set it loose? It was a sermon, believe it or not. It was a sermon about Romans chapter 10. I think it was Romans chapter 10. It was a sermon that dealt with the issue of when do we see that our government is not, when do we recognize that our government is no longer a government instituted by God and now it has become a tyrant. And it deals with it, that issue. And those people, It said, "With righteous indignation, we've had enough. We've had enough," and they they went and put together the Declaration of Independence, separated themselves, and then God protected those 13 colonies from forces unbelievable. I mean, vast military and French armadas and and uh, you know British armadas, British soldiers, all this, and and we became a nation. And so, priority-wise, we are a nation of people that were formed by 209 Christian men. They were all Christians. They all recognized it. And they all recognized what they were doing was righteous. And they all put their name on the chopping block, knowing that they would be considered traitors to England, and they'd be hung. And they signed the Declaration of Independence, and they broke loose. And it was a righteous thing. Now, we've come downhill since then, haven't we? As our institutions, again, that 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 dirty institutional approach has, has I mean, look at Vanguard, look at BlackRock, look at our federal government, look at our state governments, look at our, all these governments, these institutions have brought us down from where we ought to have been just simply righteous men getting along, loving thy neighbor as themselves, doing the best we can and dealing with our issues in the courts, getting along. Um, but the institutions have been corrupted so that's sort of a rabbit trail
2: oh that's very very interesting now earlier you mentioned the net bible project is that the i just found netbible.com where they claim uh with over 60,000 translators notes the most extensive set ever created going back to the original is that what you're talking
1: about yeah,
3: yeah those are the guys that that taught me my original greek and hebrew Uh A lot of the guys that worked on those projects were people that were um, influenced my education early on when I was, you know, 19 and 20 years old. And I I believe, look, you can go in and see the actual images, know where that document was found Uh and, and take a look at, you know, this is what we, this is what our Bible is made out of. Now, it's a very readable translation. A lot of people will argue it's too dynamic, meaning it's sort of adapted to our time and culture. But it's very readable. I read it every day. I Uh love that version of the Bible. I think it's awesome. And every now and then I'll run into some word and I'm like, why did they translate that that way? And I can look down in those 60,000 notes and say, oh, they translated it that way. It came from this manuscript. This manuscript disagrees with that manuscript. So this is why we chose to do what we chose to do. And it's kind of the best we got today from an archeological perspective.
2: Oh, that's awesome. Because I've been, uh, whenever I have uh, more uh, uh, religious, spiritual types, I always ask them, what is the best version of the Bible? Cause I would like to get the mo- most, the, 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 like uh, I, I have a regular guest, uh, uh, Pastor Eli James and his book, the great impersonation. And, and he's a, a big leader, in the uh, Christian identity movement. I don't know. Are you familiar with Christian identity at all? Or?
3: No, not really familiar with Christian identity. Look, at the beginning of every Bible, they have a, an area called basically uh, principles of translation.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And they're going to tell you whether it is dynamic, meaning more fitted to today's language, or whether it's more accurate, meaning more fitted to yesterday's language. Mm-hmm. And there's a spectrum. Okay, and there's lots of different people that have tried to or made the endeavor to translate. Obviously, King James is the most popular one throughout history, right? But there's a lot, there's a lot of research that takes place. If you want like super easy to read, like sixth grade level, uh-huh. go get yourself a living Bible. But I'm telling you, you're going to miss a lot of the value and the impact of the well, words sure, that were absolutely, chosen. yeah but it's easy to read and if you're just getting just getting you know point acquainted with the bible like go read a gospel in the living bible but if you start getting more advanced later on down the road you're like so why did paul use this particular tense of this particular verb or this particular you know why did this go this way or that way and there's a lot of depth i mean it's 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 genius it's totally genius in terms of the content but it's also, like I said, living and active. I really do believe that no matter what version you're reading, as long as you're reading the Bible, you're going to get something out of it. Well,
2: what's interesting from a practical standpoint is, of all the uh, major religions since the time of Christ, the New Covenant seems to resonate with people um, who who have more of a of a, a ability to connect with the message you know i think that you know the you know the muslim religion to me is essentially uh talmud light right i mean muhammad couldn't read or write and he he his second or third wife was uh older than him she was uh, a talmudist and she basically wrote the quran for him which to me is like the you know uh they call it the uh the the religion of peace but Actually, all it does is is is, is set up uh, uh, the ability to fire people up to become an army, and 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 so and and then you look at his Muhammad's last wife when he was uh, coming to at the end of his days was a I don't know eleven year old or twelve year old girl. So I mean, how in the world can you take that religion seriously? Yet many do, and and uh, but to me the more interesting thing is whenever you know uh, christian um proselytizers have gone anywhere in the world uh, all, all continents that message resonates really powerfully with with every every type of person so uh, to me of the three abrahamic uh initiative religions the the uh the new covenant is the only one that that uh uh resonates with people in a positive way. I mean, the Muslims, you know, like I said, again, that whole supplication thing to me is silly. And, and uh, they're just, uh, you know, much like the Jew, the rabbi supposedly speaks for God. And uh, a lot of the, uh, sadly, like the Catholics, their idolatry, they think they can speak for God. And certainly the Muslims do. And so that, but, but the new Covenant. you're supposed to go with Jesus, right? Not the priests don't need to tell you what's going on or the ministers read it yourself to me is, is the right way to do it. Your thoughts on that line of thinking.
3: Well, let me tell you about a very interesting little section of the book of acts. It's between, okay. So the church was like early, Jesus had just been crucified. And then there's this guy that sort of rises up. That's, that's a really dedicated Christian by the name of, um, Stephen. And he ends up like, like, like the Jews still are running their rabble. This is even post-crucifixion. They're still running their rabble and they're trying to screw up these Christians because they're threatening the Jews. Okay. So this guy, Stephen gets up in front of this rabble and they've got their chief priests and they're persecuting. They want to put him down and they want to show that they've got the power. They can control this thing. And so Stephen makes this speech. And he basically walks through the history of the Jews all the way through to this very day where he says, and now fundamentally at the very end, he says, and God is going to basically cut you out. And he's going to replace you with the Gentiles if you're disobedient. And so what do they do? I mean, they pick up rocks and they kill the guy. I mean, they and killed have- guy right, right there. And who's standing there at his feet is this guy named Paul, Right. This Pharisee by the name of Saul, at the time his name was—he name was changed later—but right. he's a Pharisee from this rich town called Tarsus, and he's a student of this guy named Gamaliel, and he's this like big deal. And Paul sort of picks up the the thing and goes out and persecutes the church. Well, that persecution caused all those Christians in Jerusalem to scatter. Well, what happened? They scattered. Cells all over the place. Now they're up and now they're here. Now they're there. Now they're and they're spreading and they're spreading like wildfire, like a virus on the whole world. And they can't stop it. And so the church is like, okay, Paul, here's some or the the synagogue is like, okay, Paul, here's some letters. You go into each town. You show the local government these letters and you can pull these Christians right out of their house and stone them. Now, those are two very important, very critical things to understand about the Bible. You've got Stephen talking about the history of the Jews and how they've always rejected the real Messiah and how they've always rejected what they were called to do. And then you got Paul sent out, and what happens on Paul and the journey later on? Paul runs into Jesus on the road to Damascus. And you can read about that story in there, but Paul has a conversion experience and becomes the missionary to the gentiles right and basically he's one of the foundational components of the church but there's something that happens right in the middle there between the stoning of stephen and paul that most people don't realize they don't even pay attention to it and this guy named philip okay this guy named philip is out there and he's preaching and he runs into this sorcerer by the name of simon and philip has the power to heal. And he was given this power by the Holy Spirit and he's healing people. And this Simon guy, his local sorcerer, is following him around going, this is awesome. Simon had been used to doing magic all over the place and making a bunch of money, making a bunch of money. And so Simon's like, wow, these guys, they've really got my mind blown. How are they healing all these people? We can make a bunch of money off this. <laughs> Jeez. And so this Simon guy goes to Peter, I think it was, and says, hey, how can I, uh, how can, can I buy this?
2: <laughs> franchise it, huh? Jeez.
3: Yeah, he wants to franchise it. And it's like, no, this is the free gift of God. And may your, may your money die with you. And, and you're going to die because you believe that you could have the free gift of salvation and you could buy it for money. So let's focus on that money now for a second. And so Philip gets this word from Peter, hey, now you're done, dude. And he he, he basically becomes what theoretically appears to be repentance. And so what does he do? He says, pray for me, Peter, so that what you said doesn't happen. So he asks Peter to act as an intermediary. And Peter's like, if you want to have a direct relationship with God, you should do it directly. So not only is he corrupted by money, now he wants Peter to act as an intermediary on his behalf. And so you look all around the world, you see all sorts of things related to the screwing up of the church, even back at this very day. Number one, money. It's free. Free doesn't have any strings attached. Number two, uh, I'm kind of afraid to talk to God directly. I better go into the confessional and I better tell the priest who will do it for me. And intermediaries. And that's not how it's designed to work.
2: That's a great point. And yet, all the religions, the major religions right now, uh, promulgate the intermediary, and no major religion guides uh, interested parties into learning how to communicate, pray, meditate to, to speak directly to God. Isn't that interesting that it's all there are institutions that are looking to grow their, their, their power and their control, not in any way helping uh, people find their path to God, which I consider spirituality. So man, what a great point. And even back then it was going on and today it's rampant. I mean, Look at look at the most egregious examples are those goofs like Kenneth Copeland or or Joel Osteen or Franklin Graham. They're all about uh, uh, you know money and phony Christianity. And 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 I mean I, sometimes I used to tune in to watch those idiots on their TV. It, it, it's so vulgar and offensive to me. And yet yet there are a lot of people who throw those dudes and women a lot of money because they think that that. I mean, it's just insane. How can you believe that's Christianity? And yet a lot of people do your thoughts.
3: Oh yeah. Uh, you go ahead and make a donation to my church and I'll pray on your behalf. You know, the yeah, whole yeah, half, yeah. the whole 95 theses related to Martin Luther, the whole busting loose and becoming quote unquote, the Protestants, the biggest thing was something called indulgences. Okay. And so this is the Catholics came up with this idea, right? Okay, well we got to control these people, right? This is a political institution as well as it's a religious institution. We got to control these people, so we're going to come right. up with this idea of purgatory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your sins are a big deal, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus died, but you need to have the last sacraments or the last rites performed by a priest, an intermediary, or those sins that you before your last confession. And why do they have confession? So they can learn all your dirty secrets. <laughs>
2: Exactly right.
3: Yeah, I mean, think about Epstein esque. It's like bad, but what they the Catholics are doing is they come out and say, okay, well, every you know, when the priest comes and forgives you, and he acts as your intermediary, and you do your confession, and then you die a week later. Well, you committed five hundred sins in that, so you're going to have to work off those sins because they're not confessed through this intermediary. So they're they're not. Christ didn't really die for those sins. He don't. He died for the sins that you confess to me. You're intermediary, and so you're going to go to a place called purgatory where you got to work off these five hundred sins. And so I'm going to let you buy your way out. Jeez. You can give us your money from your estate, yeah, and we'll we'll take off a thousand years from your purgatory. And that that's literally what it is. You give us the money from your estate, we'll take a thousand years off your purgatory. And then after that, you'll be, you know, in glory with God in heaven. You know, it's, 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 look, I don't want to understate this and I don't want to overstate this because Mm -hmm. the truth is what people need to hear. If I love somebody, I'm going to act in their best interest. Right. Okay. Okay a lot of people think it's, oh, I love somebody. I'm going to have sex. Or a lot of people think, oh, if I love somebody, I'm going to, you know, what is love? You break it down. Acting in the best interest of the one loved when you really boil it down. Mm -hmm. And so acting in the best interest of somebody that's talking to me, I'm going to tell them the truth. If I'm talking to a Jew, you're going to hell. Messiah said so. That's a fact. You better deal with it. Well, I could just beat around the bush and deal with it. Look, you're going to die in your sins. It is what it is. But I would say Paul, the apostle Paul only looked at the world in terms of three different types of people. You know, we, we try to think that we could break it down into blacks and whites and greens and purples and whites, you know, break it down. Paul saw it as three different people. He saw the Gentiles, the old fertilities, the pagans. That's one group of people.
0: Mm-hmm. But the
3: second group of people he realized, recognized was called the moralist. And this is the person who basically says they're an agnostic. And then the third group of people were the Jews. And he deals with these three different groups a little bit differently in terms of how he deals with them. But he only sees the world in in terms of three different groups. There's the totally uneducated Gentiles. Right. Then there's the person who thinks that he's morally superior and he doesn't need God because he's above it, and he he can stand on his own. And right. then the third one is the Jews. And then he goes into this discussion about all the benefits of being a Jew. And he was right. There were benefits and curses. What benefits? Go read Psalm 119. They focused on the law. They 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 learned the law of God. They learned how God wanted to interact with people. Remember the very purpose of the Jews from the very beginning, if you read your Bible and understand it, was to be a light to all nations. They were supposed to basically march out with the torch, lighting the way for all the rest of the world to understand who the real true God is. And they had the the dual purpose of being a son or a, a family member of God. And But the, the, they rejected that purpose and they replaced what was Abraham's by faith. They replaced it with works. Oh, we got to do this. We got to do this. We got to do this. And if we do this, then we deserve that. That's, that's screwed up religion. That's what it is. And so what happens, you get to Romans chapter 11, and you re- And what Paul says is, hey, look, the Jews, they had a purpose. And they got to receive God's blessing. And he calls it the olive tree in the illustration that he uses. And it has 12 tribes, like 12 mm, branches. And he right. says, but the Jews screwed up, and they've been screwing up. And by the way, you read your Bible, it is no way it was written by some Jewish sympathizer. I mean, the thing is hard on the Jews, like hard on them. I mean, God is rough with these people for their rejection. And they killed all the prophets. Anyway, Paul Paul makes this illustration of what, what is the real church? What is the new covenant that you mentioned? And mm-hmm. He says, basically, my blessing is a tree. And it originally had 12 branches. But those branches have been disobedient, and they're being cut off. Some of them are being cut off. Who was being cut off? Yeah, who was being cut off? The guys that rejected faith, the gift of righteousness, Mm -hmm. and replaced it with the works of the law. So they were cut off, and what was grafted in to those spots were the Gentiles. And this is what pissed off those early Jews so completely and they went crazy and they've been going crazy ever since they don't Mm -hmm. get it they don't get it we've been grafted in to the promise and anybody who acts in faith and believes in god is a child of the promise Mm
1: -hmm. screw
3: you guys you think you're so smart now god always protected and still to this day protects a remnant of the jews So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Even in the olden days, he always had 7,000 men, as an example, that didn't bow the knee to Baal. He always protects. Sometimes it's small, sometimes it's quiet, but there's the real deal. And they still exist to this day, and they're out there. And they're a part of the church. They're what we would call a Messianic Jew, somebody who believes that the Messiah has come and fulfilled the promise. Now, the ones that are still looking for the Messiah, they're gonzo. They got no hope. Because their Messiah ain't coming. There ain't no more temple records. There's nothing else qualified to tell them that this is a descendant of David as the Messiah ought to be. It doesn't exist anymore. Remember, the temples were destroyed in 70 AD. Gonzo. They have no more temple records. All those records were destroyed. They have no no hope, no chance, no no way. But they're still looking for it because the Messiah can be anybody. But it can't be this Jesus guy because he was all about the poor. He was all about the hurt. It was all about the broken. Right. And that's not what we're about. Anybody but Jesus. That's the way that's the way they look at it.
2: Well, what's interesting to uh underline your point is that the three uh Jewish uh messiahs that are documented in in the last uh several uh what about a half a millennium, the first one was Zebatai Zeve and he uh he, he advocated for the seven sins and every type of debauchery, and that brings you closer to God. Once again, uh, the fact that the Jews worship Lucifer, not, not the real God. And secondly, then you had Jacob Franks who, who, who tried the same thing again. And then the third one was very recent, this subhuman uh, Rabbi Schmeerson, who uh, died literally of fecal impaction. He was full of shit. And once again, he he created the habad luvovich movement which is you know child raping uh, everything evil possibly in service of money and and the seven deadly sins and so you know there there in a in a baseball metaphor it's funny that the jew can't see that strike 3 you're out and and you know every time your your so called messiah is <laughs> just the the worst possible thing you can have for but at, at, you know especially in the time of uh of, of Zebatai, zevi Zebe, or Frank, half half of all Jews in existence went along with it. So holy cow, pretty 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 despicable. Your thoughts oh, on those false messiahs?
3: Well, there's going to be a lot of people that come along claiming to be this or claiming to again. The Jewish mentality is anybody but Christians,
2: right? Right. Anybody
3: but it. Christians. Well, we'll take a Muslim over a Christian. We'll take we'll take anybody but Christians. Christians are the worst because they can't control it. They can't. It's not something that that they can control at all. And it's an insult to them because remember, they thought that they were the children of the promise. They thought that they were the, the special ones, but that privilege was abandoned when they abandoned righteousness through faith and replaced it with righteousness through works, righteousness of the law. And they think that they're still so special, but I'm telling you, that they're not. We're part of the same promise today right. and that's what the new covenant is and that's what the apostle Paul was all about. It's an insult to these people to think that Christ came along and healed the sick and worked with the poor and loved the people and changed the people's hearts and 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 made their temple. Remember Jesus goes into the temple and what's the one time he gets like angry? The one time Jesus gets like
2: oh when he kicks crazy. over the uh the the money changing temples and That's pulls right. out a whip and starts whipping them. Yeah, that was awesome. That's
3: right. Now this is this is a sinless man. And what right. was done was done in righteousness because they right. had turned that temple into a den of robbers. Now you go read the end of Ezekiel, you'll see Ezekiel's tank around and he is shown the most despicable thing. You think what we see today with adrenochrome is despicable? You think what we see today with you know little girls having their arms and legs cut off and being replaced with doll parts so that they can then they're blinded and sold to Russians as sex puppets. You know, this right, right. this is like this is like the full on depth of the dimension of insane god hate. Yep. Go read the end of Ezekiel. What are the Jews doing? They got their little tunnels, they got their little places inside the temple walls where they got their little kitties. they got their the little rotten things going on all over the place. And God's like, I see it, I'll show it to you. And so Ezekiel's crying out like, he started out like, Hey, God, help the Jews, and then at the end of it, it's like, God, kill him. I mean, this is the prophet Ezekiel,
2: right? Right. Yeah,
3: like, he's one of them. They just turned so rotten. He's like, kill them all. Kill them all. But God always restored a remnant because he had to protect, because he, ch- he chose, I mean, he, made a, he made a promise. It was an unconditional, one-way promise in Genesis chapter 12. And I know mm-hmm. a lot of people in this community don't like to hear about it, but it's true. It's true. You go read it. I will make of you a great nation. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. It's true. Mm-hmm. Now, has it come? No. Christ was not going to return until the full number of actual faithful people has been brought in to His promise. That's called the time of the Gentiles. When the time, when the last person that's going to get saved gets saved, then Christ theoretically will return, and the judgment will begin to take place, and there'll be there'll be a change in the way everything works. I'm not going to go into eschatology in this forum, but you check, you check it out. When the last Gentile is joined into the tree, into the promise, that's it closes the door. It's done.
2: Well, well, but the, the human r- race is growing leaps and bounds as far as, you know, we're up to over 8 billion now. So what, we'll, we'll, doesn't that prevent Jesus from ever coming back? Because there's always opportunity for more Gentiles to get it.
3: No, there's going to be a day when it closes down. He's going to close the books. The book of life is a limited book. Now, does it, you know, how big is the handwriting? You know, it's kind of a ridiculous question. But look, today I can guarantee you one thing. If you're living and you're breathing, you too can join and become a child of the promise. Mm -hmm. And you don't need to go to the local church to do it. You don't need to go perform this ritual or that ritual to do it. You want to become a child of the promise? Ask. If anyone asks with his mouth and believes with his heart, asks of Jesus, he'll be saved. And he can join that promise and he can join that blessing and he can become a part of what's important. I did it. I did it when I was 19. Well, there
2: you, you know,
3: go. it's still sticking today. I'm 50 years old, even though I had a season of hard times where I lost and, you know, doing dirty things myself, but
2: right, it's right. still
3: here. I'm still, I mean, I'm still, I'm still doing it. So there's hope for everybody. There's hope for the dirtiest prostitute on the dirtiest street, there's hope for the darkest person. Well, the one people, the one group of people I don't have much hope for are the rich, because yeah. the rich don't really need it. You know, huh? Why should I? Why should I? There's a there's a great there's a great benefit in struggling and having to have faith in God for your daily needs. And I think it's, you know, you got the in in the Bible, you got the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and who's laughing at the end of that story? Lazarus, because the rich man's like. Oh, man, this sucks. I never had yeah. faith. Yeah, yeah, Instead, I just worked it off or I thought I could buy it off.
2: That's a great point. Brian, we're coming to the last uh, 10 minutes of the show. Is there any any topics you wanted to bring up that I haven't asked as a question yet?
3: Oh, man, I had so many different things that I, you know, I didn't know how this conversation was going to go today. And so let me just point out how this uh, sin has Blossomed among the Jews that reject Messiah. Feminism. Feminism. Gloria Steinem, Betty Friedman, Shulamith Firestone, Ellen Willis. I mean, you could go down the list of all these people. Now, these aren't the only evil people in the world. Blackrock. Big corporate money machine. Larry Fink, Robert Capito, Susan Wagner, Barbara right. Novick, Ben Golub, Ralph Schulzstein. That's BlackRock. Right. BlackRock owns Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Meta, P&G, NVIDIA, Tesla, Johnson & Johnson. Hedge fund industry. Jim Simmons, Renaissance Technology, David Tepper, Steve Cohen, Carl Icahn. Israel Englander, David Shaw, John Overdeck, David Siegel, George Soros, Bruce Kovner, Paul Singer. Pornography game, Al Goldstein, Nathan Abrams, Fabian Thalman, Gary Kremen, right. Sean Rad, And I am not underestimating this. Like, this is a powerful machine. The COVID agenda, CDC right. director. CDC deputy director, CDC chief of staff, chief medical officer. See, I didn't go down the list. I've been keeping lists of all this, trying to keep track of all this. This Ukraine Russia war, huge list. Protocol. Oh, this is another one that's different. Trump's campaign. Where's the money coming from? Yep. You know, there's look, if you're if you try to put your faith in some guy, to fix this nation, you're out of your mind. Agreed. You can do more damage on your knees with a broken and contrite heart, with the right perspective, the right channels of discussion, the right thing. You can do more damage working through the power of God with the local church or the local people that you're involved with, if you just ask God, he'll bring them into your lives. You'll come together. You could do more damage. One righteous man can do more damage to all these people because we're just going to basically pile hot coals on them until they feel it, till they burn. Yeah. And all we need is a few of them to start to repent. I mean, there could be a cascade of it, but I don't, I don't know if they will. But so when I go down, you know, most people, when they're driving down the freeway, they see the billboard that says, you know, what does it say? It says, pray for Israel.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, there was my wife. uh, Let me tell you this. My wife was uh, um, uh, driving up to a doctor's appointment uh, a couple days ago, and she saw a bumper sticker on a car. It was in Spanish, right? You would think that the 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 Mexican Catholics would have at least get it right but they're buying the same bullshit about evangelical Zionist Christian now too it's just insane to me I mean I mean Judeo Christian is like saying devil god to me I mean there's just no no those two phrases should not be used in the same tone right I mean everything changed with the new covenant and like you described earlier, the promise, and it's so funny that the uh, perfidious Jew, right? My favorite six-word Russian proverb: "Fish swim, birds fly, Jews lie," and and so many weak-minded Gentile Goyim just listen to these Jew lies and, and 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 allow this to happen. And and so, I mean, my next question, Brian, is is literally, you know, I'm 64 years old. When I was a little boy, I lived in Milwaukee. It was ninety-five percent white, high-trust society, uh, and 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 literally in sixty years, especially since uh, nineteen eighty, to me that 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 movie Wall Street just really was the coming out of the satanic Jew greed in the public uh, space. And it's gotten. Then it got worse after they attacked 9/11, and and really nothing happened. I mean, the the U.S. military should have bombed Israel into the Stone Age within a few days for attacking us like that. But uh, instead, we we went and waged war for them in Iraq and Afghanistan. So it's just uh, just disappointing to see how uh, these Satanists continue to amass power, and now they are literally trying to wipe out the European legacy white race, right? They've have very sophisticated psyops. They're poisoning young people. The the uh, whites aren't, most whites aren't having kids now and, and they've been poisoned with this COVID. So, it, it, you know, there's fertility is, is a big challenge. And, and so your thoughts on, on this is, this is a very organized, very, uh, uh effective, psyop satanic psyop on so many levels and and again you like you joked a few moments ago pray for israel send money to israel when they bled, bled us for so much already It's 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 trillions with a t at this point so
3: well right now it seems to be the final inflation of this particular sort of evil um you know i can see it i can feel it it's almost like it's getting ready to start pouring over the 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 edge of the bowl in terms of how evil it's become and there's a great awakening that's beginning to develop and maybe it's god bringing people out i don't know for certain i can tell you this i'm seeing more spiritual activity i mean just it was just yesterday i got a call from a guy and you know look I, I turned him to the Bible and I mean, his whole life appears to just begun to make an adjustment. You're seeing more and more people wake up out of the stupor. The problem is that the people are looking to the wrong entities. They're looking to institutions for deliverance from these evil things. And that's not how it works. The prison is not a prison of society as much as it's a prison of the mind. And the mind is an individual thing. And if people could see the world the way I see it, they'd they'd be on their knees. They'd be broken and they'd be contrite. If people could see Jews the way I see them, I'm not sitting here rooting for them to go to hell. I don't want to see that happen. I want them to repent. If people could see it through the eyes of somebody who understands the way God sees it, mm-hmm. look, we could talk about the blacks as well. Okay. I'm a private investigator. I get my criminal defense files. I have black guys. I got to go down to the jail and sit down with them. It's no problem. Yeah, Yeah. You know, I don't care. You've been accused of a crime. It is what it is. How many times they lie to me? You know, I'm on your team. Oh, but you've got white skin. You're on the other side. Well, sure, man, that is just stupid. That is just stupid. You, you you got a guy like me taking a criminal defense file with my education, my understanding, and I'm here to defend you. And you're saying you don't want it because I'm white. I mean, that's just stupid. That's just stupid. 100 percent. Absolutely. And, yep. You know, but unfortunately, we've got a decay of society where everybody is looking to some institution to save them. It started, I think, a bit on the West Coast and up in the north where everybody – Some institution will save them. The West Coast, look, any problem that they got with their neighbor, they want the government to pass a law and solve it. Any problem that they got, they're they're so tolerant, they'll allow anything in their society because they don't want to step on anybody's toes. Guys, guess what? Righteousness requires you to call out unrighteousness when you see it and how you see it. And there's a time and a place to lay it out and let somebody know the truth. Now, you got to make your own decision as to where that, you know, how to apply that under what situation. But I try to get my guidance in terms of the Bible and the Holy Spirit as to what it needs to be done. But I, I'll tell you something. If you love somebody, you better say something about the behavior that they're involved with that's going to cause their soul to pass the point of no return where God simply abandons them to yeah. that sin. You love your kids, you better tell them the truth. You love your mom, your dad, your neighbor. You better tell them the truth and you better learn to do it in a way that that is proper to influence them. Sometimes I see a guy in a store wearing a mask. You know, I got to be delicate about that because they're deceived. But I can tell their mind is caught in a prison. Of course. Yeah. Don't let the machine imprison. The whole machine is out there to imprison us. The whole thing. It's out there to imprison us, man. I'm telling you, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Now, I didn't know the truth coming out of Bible college. Things were wrong. Things were not right. I didn't know all the truth. I learned the truth when I started to have faith that everything would work out. That's how I got to know the truth. Proper faith, a little bit of education, but time spent getting some guidance from above. And I'll tell you, he'll talk to you if you ask him to. Wow. My sheep, my sheep know my voice.
2: That is a great uh, way to end end the show, Brian, and look forward to having you back uh, soon to continue this discussion. And uh, uh, I, especially next time, like the, it seems that the Jew is not going after black Christians or Asian Christians is going after white European Christians and so-called Amalek and wants to wipe whites out, but we'll save that for next time. Brian, what a great show, and it, it's awesome to tap your knowledge and decades of experience and enlightenment, spiritual enlightenment, so I really want to thank you, and uh, I'll have you back again soon. So uh, have a great rest of the week, Brian. Thanks so much.